Good evening, good morning, and good afternoon. We are in Luke 10, 1 through 2. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus appointed another seventy to go out in pairs, to preach, giving others in various towns the opportunity to accept him. Jesus' twelve disciples were not included in the seventy. There was much to do and few workers to help. This is still true today. There are many times when there is so much work to do for God's kingdom, but people hold so tightly to their time that nothing gets done. We, as God's people, are called to sacrifice our time for the kingdom. When it is needed, notice that sacrifice implies that it hurts and it cuts into your personal time. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, when do we sacrifice our time for God? Why 70? Uh, Some people believe it was just how many were available. Uh, Others think that he chose the number as a symbol uh, because Genesis 10 speaks of 70 nations that comprised the world at that time. So it may have been symbolic way of saying that Jesus wanted all the nations to hear the truth. Verse 3. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus was sending these 70 out to prepare the way for him. They would be in danger to the point that Jesus described them as sheep going to a pack of wolves. We should feel the same way when we are in the world. Sometimes work feels like we are surrounded by wolves, complaining, swearing, telling bad jokes, and more. But like the 70, we are called to be his light. Do you do this? Someone said that many Christians do not stir enough of an opposition for Satan to fight against. Christians do so little for the kingdom that Satan doesn't have to put up much of a fight against us. We are called to fight. Do you feel opposition when you live for Christ? I know I do. 4 through 11. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, We wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. They were called to trust God for their provision and make haste to their destinations. Jesus did not want them weighed down with too many things. Jesus told them to remain in the first house that they came to where their message was accepted. If the message was accepted, they were to heal people and talk about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. If they were rejected, they were to leave the city and dust off their shoes. This is an indication that even the city's dust was not worthy of them or their message. Note that these missions were a one-time thing. Jesus' emphasis for our mission is to preach his word, not to do miracles. And you can see that in Matthew 28, 19-20, Luke 24, 46-49. 
verses 12 through 16. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Here's an interesting passage. There are various things we can glean from these words. Remember, Jesus is speaking about the towns that reject the truth. First of all, conversion of someone does not depend on the messenger. Everyone has free will. They have the power to choose against our message of truth and blind themselves to it. Second, we see harsher punishment for one city than for another. What's the difference? Knowledge. Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida had Jesus' teaching and his miracles right in their midst, yet they would not accept the truth. Jesus mentions that judgment would be harder than them, um, sorry, harder on them than on Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, who did not have the opportunity to hear Jesus for themselves. Genesis 19, Ezekiel 26 through 28, and Isaiah 23. Now, what can we learn from this? It seems safe to say that the more knowledge you have of the truth, the more you are responsible for. Does this mean we should stop studying right here so that we are not responsible for more? I don't think so. We have accessibility to the Bible that not everyone else has, so we are also responsible for the opportunity to dig into it. Third, we see that Jesus knew what would happen if the situation were reversed, which indicates that Jesus is omniscient. He knew what would have happened if another city had more knowledge, which is impossible for any normal human to say with any certainty. This is yet another proof that he truly was God. Fourth, and one that has helped me a lot, if they accept us, they accept him. And if they reject us, they are rejecting him. We are called to proclaim the word of Jesus. We are not called to have a certain number of people saved or baptized in order to have a successful ministry or evangelism effort, you know, telling others of Christ. That is awesome that God calls us only to what we can do and have control over, ourselves and our actions. He does not place impossible demands on his children. Verses 17 to 20. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. The seventy returned, filled with joy, telling Jesus how they were able to do miracles, and they were able to tell demons what to do, and they would obey, and this was all under Jesus' name. And Jesus again shows his attribute of being eternal and says that he was there when Satan fell. And this is after creation, but definitely before the fall. Um, he also gave these 70 authority over Satan, which is the serpents, and demons, which is scorpions. 
but they were not to rejoice in this power. Now, important here, because some people have misconstrued this. This does not mean that the Christian has literal power over literal serpents and literal scorpions. The context is not talking about animals. It is talking about spiritual beings. The serpent is a direct correlation to the fall, if you look at Genesis 3, uh, to Satan. And scorpions are something that we see later on that has to do with demons. Instead, they were to rejoice in the fact that they were saved. Our personal relationship with God is so much more than what we can do with His power. No matter how great a miracle is, the greatest miracle of all is the salvation of a lost soul. Amen. Verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and it brought him joy in the Holy Spirit. So all three were working in harmony for his glory. He praised to the Father for demonstrating the message to many that would listen. Many that were learned in Scripture missed Jesus while he was on earth. Hiding the message from the wise and giving it to those that were like infants was an amazing thing. Verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. All things are Christ's. He is the God of the universe. Jesus reveals who the Father is, but they only reveal themselves to whomever they choose. God has a part in our decision for our salvation. If he chooses not to reveal himself, then a person will not understand. Yet he wanted everyone to come to repentance. Those that should have understood were rejecting him, while those whose understanding was limited were getting the message. Understanding does not fully rely on our shoulders. If there were the case, most of the world would not have come to Christ. And we'll learn more about this in the doctrine of God and man and salvation. Verses 23 to 24. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and told them how blessed they were. They had seen the Messiah heard him speak, and been with him. This was something that the kings and prophets of old had longed for, but were never able to experience on earth. His disciples were the privileged ones who got to see him and begin to understand. Why is this important? <laughs> we are privileged as well. We have the complete word of God, his full revelation to man on this earth, found in these verses. Have you thanked God for that? Do you cherish it? We need no more information of God than what he revealed in his word. This is an amazing gift to all humanity. Verses 25 to 29. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, 
do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? A lawyer decided to come to Jesus to test him in the hopes of tricking him. This lawyer was an expert in the law. The lawyer asked a fairly simple question. How do I receive eternal life? This question is a very good question, but it had the wrong motive. Jesus reverted the question back to him, as he often did. And he answered correctly, that love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice there is an assumption that you love yourself, because we all do. The Bible never commands us to love ourselves. It's an assumption that the Bible makes that we do that very well, most of the time too well. Now, the two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, they're found in the Old Testament, both of them. Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. A love of God will display itself in a love for others. For most Jews, however, this neighbor was only another Jew. The man asked an interesting question, though. Instead of asking, how do I do this? He asked, who is my neighbor? Instead of repenting of not loving well, he defended himself. He used a debating tactic, taking the focus off himself and having Jesus define his terms. Verses 30 to 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii, denarii? and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go, and do the same. So we see a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road descended 3,000 feet in a span of 17 miles. It was a dangerous road because robbers had good hiding places. So this man was robbed, beaten, and left for dead. A priest first came along. Everyone would expect this holy man to help his victim. Instead, the priest sees him, distances himself, and pretends not to see anything, possibly not wanting to get his hands dirty. The priest went on his merry way. It was kind of like he was social distancing. <laughs> then a Levite, a steward of the temple, came along. Surely he would help this man. But he saw the man and went on his way. Perhaps he was scared that bandits would strike again. Besides, it was a busy road and someone else could come and help this man. There are many religious people who take this stance. I don't think I should help because I would steal the blessing from someone else. That usually means I am selfish and I have no desire to help, but I need to protect my reputation so I will make it sound spiritual. Loving others often hurts and comes at a high price. That is what love is. Love others. Give sacrificially of your time, money, and talents. But a Samaritan came along. 
Now, Samaritans were rejected by the Jews. They were hated because of their lineage. They were mixed Jews and not purebreds. This hated enemy was the one to help his fellow man. He took time to bandage and dress his wounds with oil and wine, which were common remedies in that time, wine to clean the wound and oil to alleviate the pain. He paid money from his own pocket, two denarii, denarii? <laughs> which is two days' worth of work, to keep the man at an inn and would cover any additional costs. When Jesus asked the lawyer who acted like a neighbor, the tax, I'm sorry, the lawyer did not even say the Samaritan, but the one who had mercy. This is how much Jews hated Samaritans. He didn't want to even call him by the name. The story served two purposes. First, Jesus answered the lawyer's question. A neighbor is anyone who has need. True love for that neighbor does everything possible to supply that need. The second purpose was to show this lawyer and those present that our neighbors include our enemies. This story made Jews look bad and made Samaritans the heroes. He demonstrated not only a Samaritan helping a Jew, but this person helped when the top Jewish religious men had ignored the man. We must love even when we don't like it. 38 to 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Mary and Martha resided, we see that in John 11.1, 1, a few miles east of Jerusalem, we see that Martha is concerned with the household chores and with putting dinner on the table, so to speak. She gets frustrated with Mary because she was doing it all alone. She complains to Jesus. Jesus tells Martha that Mary had chosen correctly. Now, what does this mean? Should we leave our houses in ruin? No, that's not what the passage is saying. God is not against household chores unless they are in the way of paying attention to Him. Our most important objective is to listen to Christ and obey Him. Mm -hmm. Jesus was probably teaching, and Mary wanted to hear Him. Martha was missing out because she was busy getting things ready or getting things done. Martha was tending to the earthly while Mary was seeking the spiritual. Learning who God is and what He has done for us is of the utmost importance. It strengthens our faith in Him. It brings us hope of the future and drives us to love Him and others, among other things. Many other things. Learning God's Word allows us to have an answer for life situations. We need workers in the church, no doubt about it. But these workers also need to be saturated with the knowledge of Scripture because they are our strength and truth. We want to be balanced, loving them, like praying and dwelling in His Word by reading, memorizing, meditating, etc. in His Word, and by serving others, loving our neighbors as ourselves. This can serve in the church and can serve in the world. We probably should be doing both. Many times, we are like Martha. We are enveloped in so many things that we lose our chance to commune with God. 
I would urge you to examine your life. Is there anything that you need to cut out of your life so that you can seek God more often? Notice that I said to seek God more often. Don't just cut things out because you want more time to yourself. You need to carve out time daily to be with your Savior. It's, it's not an easy process. Remember, God is more important than a home, family, and even more important than our physical lives. Are you living that way? Or are you, like Martha, busily overworked with no eternal value attached to that work? Thank you for being with us through chapter 10. Um, if you have any questions, uh, again, you can go to forthethirstysoul.com. Uh, go to the contact page. Uh, we are monitoring that email. Uh, we'd love to hear your questions, and we'd love to answer them. And thank you.